people game. BP, are you a gamer? I am not. I, I would not be able to consider myself a gamer. Uh, I do have a PlayStation 5. Uh, what? I, yeah, I, I got it in the hopes that uh, I could, like, you know, pick it up uh, on leisure time, but the reality <laughs> has been much, much different. Leisure time. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, what is that? Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the uh, Mac DevOps Book Club, where we're going to be discussing the SRE book, and we're, um, we've been given a task. Uh, we've been given a sprint, and instead of lasting like a, a, a few weeks, this sprint's going to last this short book club time. It's read chapters three to nine in, in, in uh, the second section of this SRE book. Uh, Brian has laid down a challenge to all of us. Yep. Apparently, some really good stories in this chapter, and we would kn- I would know that if I'd read them all. Um <laughs> So just uh, just had a, just to get on the same page here with who who's read what, how far have has That's everyone funny. gotten? Same page. That's funny. Let's see what you did there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've uh, I've finished most of the chapters. Yeah, I've read the title. It's called Embracing Risk. I got through like half of chapter four, so clearly not close to chapter nine, but. I suggest we discuss embracing risk. That's the first one in the group. So it's uh, important to do that. But what happens is, is, is you take all of your SRE people in the company and all go skydiving at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can't all read the same chapters at the same time. That'd be dangerous. Or oh, is that, no, you're still talking about embracing risk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Oh, for a moment, so, there, I, was uh, pretend- I, I pretended like we were all working in the same company, the MDO company. Okay, yes, in your, in your example, continue. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, if I recall, honestly, I read these chapters a long time ago, though, so my, my brains get a little foggy, COVID. Um, and the, uh, the, I think some of the example there is understanding that achieving perfection where there's no risk is, is quite impossible. I think they lead into that concept. A little bit here, um, embracing risk. You, you, you know, obviously, we have to try things. We can't have a hundred percent assurance everything's going to work. Um, so, being able to be okay with that uh, boundary of uncertainty allows for forward progress. Yeah, think about think about that. Yeah, they they do talk about that. Um, that's the they 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 use the uh, the nine 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 system basically to determine like how, how to measure. I guess the service risk and trying to come up with metrics based on whatever the product is. Um, they, they keep using like, you know, uh, requests as a, a, a potential metric and how many requests are, are getting um, successfully processed versus the total number of requests to, to come up with like, a, you know, availability and so on. And having that, that uh, metric measured over a certain period of time, and you know the, the i think the the overall uh, point that they tried to make is that like 
if you try to reach a hundred percent product availability or like no error, basically you end up with a, a situation where you can't create improvements and yeah. you, you, you kind of become stagnant. Whereas obviously the flip side of that is if you're constantly like making improvements and you're, you're not adhering to some sort of metric, you know, for availability, like you, you can have a lot of downtime and that has other implications for like how people perceive the product and, and how they use it, whether they want to use it or can rely on it. Yeah, I was kind of struck by the quote in the beginning of the chapter because the beginning of the chapter is really the good part. Um, but um, <laughs> struck by this uh, quote, but uh, rather than simply maximizing uptime, SREs seek to balance the risk of unavailability with the goals of rapid innovation. So it's kind of going back or it's going to touch on when they later when they talk about error budgets, but just balancing the risk of unavailability and the goals of rapid innovation. So they're trying to balance uh, features, services, and performance, right? And if they stop, if you stop change or stop, you know, systems from being updated or improved or added upon, then there's no new features, but you keep the system running, right? But if you change too much and you go into error budgets or whatever, then, then, you know, and you have unhappy clients, then, then, then you're losing the, you losing the game as well. um, yeah i think i think an error budget is kind of hard is a weird like concept for some people to get their heads around because and it's related to the idea that something works all the time you know so it's like we want to eliminate errors but you can't eliminate you need to reduce right yeah that's right and 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 yeah, the the concept of error budgets and how to measure them is 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 like yeah that's still kind of insane to me but as a bigger concept i like the idea that if you measure it even with a survey, like we were talking on an earlier podcast about, if you do it with a survey, you can talk to people how they think the system is doing. And you can also see the survey in how clients or customers are responding with, you know, if they think the system is always down or down enough where they don't think it's reliable or worth their time or they're wasting their time. Like if you're master of SaaS operations and your SaaS tools down half the time, then is that enough for people to keep using it or is that enough to be, for people to look for an alternative tool or service or that's that's the that's the million dollar question true i i appreciated air budget because it meant into multiple things if an unplanned out had happened it takes away the allowance that engineering teams have to shut things down to make actual progress uh, if we just had a horrible year and things were down way too much, they said, sorry, no updates, because we need to keep services up to retain, well, the, the measurable metric of uptime, which equates to some of those nines, if you will. So I, I like that part. And that, that's that's the part that I was actually able to uh, translate into other concepts that were not SRE. Uh, this is conversations from, from a few book club meetings ago, uh, where I tried to ambiguously translate this into like an IT support or... IT services um, that were not SRE, but you know things that were more relevant to where I work. So I I, I translated. I'll do. I'll, I'll throw the one liner out, but I translate to like the services that we provide on IT support. How many agents we have? How many? What what the laptops are doing? Our CPE uh, efforts of uh, when we push updates out to folks, when we actually make changes to folks' experiences, what SaaS tools they use. We don't necessarily have the concept of error budgeting, but we do have a concept of expected uptime for everyone. And it's hard to measure, but especially on IT support side, we don't have the same metrics as we would a production tool where SRE is involved and can actually look at what, uh, uh, what was it, 
uh, Mids and highs was talking about the uh, service request, not not service request, but the uh, usage requests uh, into the into the product to see how often it's being used, and making sure that those pieces are coming back. Google the book talked about there were some downtime that actually wasn't noticed because it was so short. Someone put a bad web page and then they just refreshed and and it came back because services were able to redirect to service uh, uh, resources that were up versus down and the user was just like oh well it must have been just a blip in my internet like nobody nobody really (laughs) attributed it to google you know right i think that defining this kind of stuff for it support roles because error budget is a pretty um you know agnostic term you can use that to like do you want to see you know this many printer jams do you want to see this many you know dead dead wireless ap's like whatever the you know the problem is like as long as you're getting a good idea of like like they're setting the stage for you to actually monitor these errors first because you can't tell what's like you can't fix the problem until until you know what's wrong and the first part of knowing <laughs> what is wrong is knowing how wrong something actually is like, is it all not working, right? <laughs> like, did all like did we exceed all of our error budget like in one day last week? Like, what happened there? What was going on? You know, some of that's sometimes really obvious. Some of it may need some digging. Yeah, there was um, you know, the, to, to the point that was made earlier, like it it uh, sort of sells as um, a system where like it provides its own incentive. So essentially, like. The incentive there is the product engineering team is going to want to produce updates that don't cause bugs and downtime as a result. But it, it also like uh, made me consider, which I don't know if it gets into it in, in later chapters or if maybe I missed it in reading the chapter, but like, what happens in situations where an update is introduced and you're kind of stuck with a situation where you, you can't really like roll back because other components have been updated as well and like they can't be completely rolled back because of other dependencies. And now like you kind of have to move forward with fixing this issue and you've clearly gone past your, your error budget. Like they don't really discuss uh, how, how that situation gets addressed because like it's, it's really more, more of an internal um, penalty system, right? Like who gets oh, yeah. the who pays the consequence of going over or under budget or, or whatever the case might be here? Finding the blame, yeah. Yeah, case by case basis, I believe. If the air budget has been exceeded, then there's no more changes, no more, no more code changing, no more nothing changing. Right, yep. but like, it, it, and, and yes, that that is uh, what the the end up the the end goal will be. But like, what if you actually do need to make change to uh, essentially improve? the number of, of errors that are currently um, in, in production. Yeah. And, and, and I've had chance to think about it in a, in a, in a related, but similar way. I mean, in my old role in, as it, we're managing, you know, storage or resources, but when you're working with like SAS applications or applications or you're shipping products, I mean, if you're updating SAS applications, maybe Google mail or some other service, then maybe people don't notice changes because it's happening in the back end. And, but if you're shipping apps and then you're keep shipping updates, like, you know, whether you're pushing those updates to your fleet and your endpoints, or you're just telling your customers to keep updating the apps because you're you're incrementally, you know, iteratively changing, which is a good thing. But 
Um, refreshing a web page to see invisible updates in the back end is one thing, but then shipping an installer or shipping apps that need uh, updating to implement these new use cases, there's there's an impact. Even every time I launch Discord to do the book club work, <laughs> and then Discord's like, oh, we have updates. And I'm like, what? Again? It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, of course there's updates, right. but as a human, the user, you're like, what? I want to do my thing. Get out of my way. <laughs> I was just thinking through all of it too, and it's like if we're if our air budget's used up, but there's a clear and present benefit or improvement that will take a lot of problems away. I think it's a case by case basis. I think there's management that can just be like, okay, okay, I get it, Arab's gone, but we can yeah. override that. I I agree. I think in uh, you know, we talked last week a bit about how this is more like organizational change as well as IT support change, mm. and so like sometimes things are going to happen where you know, like you don't meet a budget and that doesn't mean the money stops getting spent. That just means you're over or under or whatever. And like, it keeps going. So I think I would encourage like to look at it less like, Oh, we've, we're out of errors. We can't be down anymore. So, but we can't just not update things. So let's try to find a middle ground where we only like fix things that we know have to happen, you know? And yeah, yeah. you have to be flexible. Timing. Timing can play a part as well. If the like, no, I think the example they use is like, no, no updates until uh, next month. Yeah, which uh, I mean, in, if you, I guess, uh, have fully embraced this uh, mentality that you know of of how they manage things can work. But like, I just feel like there's got to be situations when there there are like bad updates that clearly are producing a lot of errors, and you can't really go back. So like, you know, but uh, yeah, they probably have to be flexible. Um, or they maybe have like a run book for situations like that. Maybe they avoid those kind of changes by like uh, limiting the number of dependencies that systems can have and stuff like that, which they sort of um, get into uh, later in the chapter. I think it was like a system called Chub or Chubby or something like that, where it became uh, so, uh, I don't know what the word is, but like it had such a high uptime that other people came to rely on it and they build products around it. And the, the team that was responsible for maintaining uh, the, the Chubb system was basically like, uh, the, you know, like they don't have time to perform updates or changes to it because it, it became such a critical system that they needed to actually introduce downtime, like intentional downtime just to like make sure other teams didn't rely on it so much that's funny yeah i do remember that yeah <laughs> it's like me uh it's like me hiding the coffee maker at home just to make sure people don't never mind that's a bad example <laughs> <laughs> that's funny it's just i think you know there's multiple examples of like how painful are the updates in the incremental feature updates like i complained to my city that the street lights weren't working and so then the next day they showed up and they're ripping the entire street up right now <laughs> so it's a painful fix and i'm sure nobody wanted to do it because you rip a street out you it's like super noisy you're tearing everything apart also if you find fixes in an application you have to ship a new app and you have to tell people to install it or you have to deploy it you have to make sure it's deployed you have to manage that 
I mean, if you're running a SaaS app, like I, like I'm super jealous, you know, oh, I updated the server code. Now when people interact with our website, then it's, it's different. It might be worse, but it's more, it seems more invisible to me. Maybe I'm just misinterpreting SaaS apps, but it seems like it's much easier to ship and deploy and, and, and have your code in production, whether it's good or bad, but yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, what is the friction for updates and change? What is the friction? Like, you know, if you have to change passwords and systems and then you're not sure if they're going to work or if interact, you know, interdependent systems work, then then that's going to be friction to deploying that change. Um, if you're if you need to run security updates on Mac OS computers or Linux or whatever computers, but you're not sure if they're going to work, what's the friction to deploying that? <laughs> You know, implementing testing, taking time for testing, taking time for, oh, what if all the systems go down? What if, you know, you're upgrading your storage and your storage goes out? Like, you know, we, we want to stop making changes when we're afraid of what the consequences or the <laughs> the, the friction, I don't know. <laughs> no, it, it goes back to, you know, maybe a little bit of you know, error budget monitoring, but also I, I, this is why the Magic 8 ball wasn't bad. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. I'm certain. When you need to make... Difficult, Certain. difficult decisions. Yeah. This to- coin toss. <laughs> All right, here we go. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's one of those things where, like, you can plan forever to try to anticipate everything that's going to go wrong, or you can just be like, I'm certain something's going to go wrong, but it's easier to fix after I break it. Is it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to fix things I've broken because I know what I did that broke it. <laughs> Sometimes not. That's true. <laughs> it's always easier to try to correct your own mistake or something. You know, we, we try to carefully record our, our actions and activities so that they can be retraced and reversed. I may have many stories about that kind of stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> I've become meticulous. I've tried to become very meticulous in, in keeping track of what I do. You know, if you're selling, especially in my former life as an independent IT person going around, you, it's like documentation. You want to keep track so that future you, you knows what past you was doing just in case it was either brilliant or a mistake. <laughs> right. And yeah. uh, I suppose Git ops would mean that we're tracking all this in Git or some kind of version control or change management so that we can sanity check, approve, I mean, reverse. hopefully you're writing it down somewhere. I mean, <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. I, I thought that that's what the history in the terminal was for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Scroll yeah. up, scroll yeah. up. Yeah, up arrow is my history. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Terminal history is not documentation. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty close. It's pretty close. Um, um, I, I mean, it is if you're doing some sort of like security forensic remediation. <laughs> too true. What I've been doing is cutting and pasting my terminal history into Confluence so everybody else can see it too. Mm, you got you to gotta automate that so it's always redirected uh, to, uh, you know... You you got to curl the output of your history to a database, update your Airtable, <laughs> and uh, every session just automatically has a webhook <laughs> and post to the Slack channel everything stupid you typed. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember a really, really, r- really old boss that was uh, very, 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 very Unix savvy, and he would come in and go, oh, it's super easy, man. Well, I got typed out of it. And then he'd walk out of the room, and I'm like, what the heck? What the heck? And then I'd be like looking in the history, you know, like, what did he type? What? What? It's like, please, God, give me the wisdom to understand what just happened so I can recreate it. 
And then it's like you find out you're an Emacs user. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm starting uh, to like Vim, Vim a lot more. Uh, <laughs> Vim is a good time. Um, a lot of what we were talking about towards the tail end of that, of like, how do you go about like actually resolving things when you're outside of error budgets, I think maybe covered more in the next chapter talking about what they call toil and what other people call like oper like you know, like operational work or, you know, like actually doing the actual work as compared to like like mm. you know, yeah. like the actual technical implementation, like engineering the solution, you know, not the meetings, whatever. And so I think some of that may be um, may inform some discussions around those questions that you had about like when those budgets are ex exceeded and those sorts of things. Yeah, and I'm just uh, quickly skimming through uh, the the rest of chapter four uh, to see they uh, what I had gathered from like the few pages I read from it was like the terminology of service level objectives and indicators and agreements and like how one relates essentially. But yeah, I'm not seeing that particular term. Toil, you said? T-O-L-L? -L? Uh, chapter 5. T-O-I-L. Yeah, T-O-I-L. Yeah. Oh, that's chapter 5. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I was like, I remember. Clear. But uh, I, don't think everybody, I don't think everybody got to that chapter yet. Yeah, sorry. Well, I think that knowing what... I feel like an SLO and an SLA is going to be a gotcha in someone's life. Um, <laughs> oh. You know? Because they're, they're different. It's like a square and a rectangle. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, as an SRE, I guess um, it depends on the product that you're supporting. But like, as a consumer of products, or at the level that I typically uh, consume those products, like, it seems to me that SLAs are like whatever. You know, I'm not sure what the contractual obligations are if the service doesn't me you know oh there can be if, if it's a free service it means kind of like it's kind of moot because there's no money lost here or there but it, sometimes these services are contractually paid services that we yeah. rely on and if right. you have like so like an sla is like an is a legal agreement between you and another party that usually is based upon both of the group's slos right right so like for example, if you like, if you had signed like an enterprise agreement with Slack for something, like for a company, they'll have like depending on your plan, they'll have like a line inside of the fine text somewhere talking about like it can be down this much time before we have to pay you money again, like that kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, and, and that part I'm aware of. Uh, Slack is actually maybe one of the few companies I've seen that you know when they have their outage, they you know, like a month later, whatever, tell you, oh, we reimbursed X amount because we were down so-and-so amount of time this, this quarter or whatever. But like, I've not seen that with other uh, services, you know, like, it, but maybe it's just, it's, it's different for every, you know, SaaS application out there. It can be. In the past, when I have had these sort of interactions, it's usually been through the sales representative of the org that I was interacting with and less like I went and filled out a form and it happened automatically. I usually have to like, you have to prove it and fight them and argue and do whatever, you know, but yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Slack does do it. Uh, I've, I've noticed that other services that don't do it, such as Google will also go the extra step of taking away all the free accounts and start charging you anyway for stuff that doesn't always work. Uh -huh. <laughs> 
so. this uh, service level agreement stuff also like it's just like a good outside of like the SRE talk is just a good knowledge set to have inside of what I think would be called like the vendor management skill set of the IT world. Also, if you're providing services and you're being asked to sign SLAs, make sure it's something you can actually like perform and adhere to. If you're promising a 48-hour response and that ticket opens up at 5 o'clock on Friday, 48 hours is actually Sunday, not Monday. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Careful wording. Careful wording on it. Well, thank you, everybody. Encourage everyone to get to uh, Chapter 7. <laughs> chapter 7 is the good stuff. Um, yeah, we'll meet up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no weeks. Two weeks, uh, depending on when we get... I'll see if that works. But uh, okay. yeah, yeah, this is fun. Thank you. Thanks for not uh, overspending yeah. my error budget. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the SRE Book Club, part of MacDevOps. Service to the community. Thanks so much for joining us at the SRE Book Club. And thank you, JD, for taking notes and uh, managing the bots. You're the best bot wrangler ever. Thanks, Matt. The Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast is looking for sponsors. Support and encourage developers in IT to work together to solve problems for our community by sponsoring Mac DevOps. If you're interested in sponsoring the Mac DevOps YVR conference and podcast, send an email to hello at mdoyvr.com. Thank you to our awesome Mac DevOps sponsors. Thank you to Simple MDM, our gold sponsor for Mac DevOps 2022. Thank you so much to everybody at Simple MDM for your support. We really appreciate it. Please find SimpleMDM at SimpleMDM.com. We look forward to more sponsors for our conference. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. Brian, are you a, a, a huddler? No, I usually I usually just like to I, I usually just like to hold hands and you know. <laughs> I didn't I didn't say cuddle or I said huddle or <laughs>